0: Listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jesse Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week
1: in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Thanks to our collaboration with the GIZ Fabric Project, our episodes this week are a conversation with Anne Patricia Sutanto, Vice
0: President of PT Pan Brothers TBK. The Fabric Project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment. Penn Brothers is a manufacturing company based in Indonesia, and their story is pretty remarkable. When Anne started working for the company back in 1997, they had 2,000 workers. Fast forward to the present. And Pan Brothers employs over 35,000 workers.
1: In part one of this episode, we covered Anne's personal journey into apparel manufacturing, the type of production Pan Brothers does, their approach to -to direct-to-consumer sales, and Indonesia's strengths relative to other garment-producing countries. In this episode, Anne gets into
0: what's positioned Pan Brothers to be able to pick and choose the brands that it works with. She also shared her advice to smaller manufacturers struggling to see beyond the day-to-day cash pressure, her thoughts on open coasting, and whether brands know how much of a factory price goes towards labor costs, why she values
1: openness over sales, and her conviction that suppliers will never succeed at turning
0: injustice into justice without optimism and positive energy. We also want to highlight that GIZ Fabric has a great online seminar series called Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry.
1: Anne was a speaker on the ninth seminar within this series. All the seminars are free and available online, and we highly recommend checking them out. And one last quick announcement. We've teamed up with Transformers Foundation on a couple of live panel discussions for suppliers by suppliers. Our goal to cross-pollinate between the denim supply chain and supply chains in the rest of the apparel industry. The first panel discussion is on Tuesday, the 13th of April, and is all about vertical integration. As supply chains came to a screeching halt last year, consolidation and vertical integration became the industry's latest buzzwords. But these are ambiguous terms that can mean a lot of different things. How and why do suppliers at various tiers decide which parts of the production process they're actually going to do? And how does this shape approaches to sustainability? The panel is free and open to the public. Be sure to register via the link on our homepage at www.manufacturedpodcast.com.
0: If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at manufactured underscore podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead
1: on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading,
0: what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured podcast. Or sign up
1: to our weekly newsletter instead on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you'd like to
0: support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage.
1: To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry, check out the links we've put in our show notes.
0: And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe.
1: Something you said last time we talked, which I thought was really interesting, and there's sort of two parts to it. Uh, but one was you said, you know, because we know that we, we that we have certain specialties, that we have certain advantages, that we're that we're competing on certain things that other countries are not competing on, and that our wages are more expensive. So we have to bring something else to the table. We have to add value in a different way. So you have that on the one hand. Then on the other hand, you, I have heard you say things like we, you know, are choosing the customers that we want to work with, and I'm curious. Like, did these kind of things develop together? Was was be, going into more technical types of products, going into sort of more complicated production, doing something that other manufacturers could not offer? Was that sort of a critical part of positioning Pan Brothers to be able to pick and choose its customers? Or is being able to pick and choose your customers something that came with size and scale? I mean, how did you get to a point where you were able to do that?
2: Okay. So, of course, it has to go through a period of time before we can manage that and we can manage it well, right? Uh, maybe if I say it's um, in the last 25 years, it would be a lie. But I think in the last um, 10 years, we, are, we managed actually to, to look to ourselves what we want to do. At that time, we feel that, okay, what are required by all these brands um, on, on products first? And what, is, what are the right fit for us? Then we find the solutions that look we have. We need to have sustainability in terms of productions in house from January and to December, and to have an in house operations, we need to choose which product category, which partners, which buyers that are um, um, really good for Penredis, right? So we start that process, that journey, and then we select which one is good, which one is not. We try to talk with the brand uh, sourcing team and some of them actually give us more chances and some of them say that, look, uh, I only have that kind of thing. So we also look at the growth path with each of the brand and how the brand treats us in terms of supply chain, how reliable the brand is, how good they are on committed to, to orders, how good they are on committed on pricing, as well as how how they view us as the vendors. So there are a lot of um, apprehensions or anticipated questions that we address ourselves uh, uh, with our relationship with the brands. If it actually hit the check mark all that we are okay, okay, then we continue or even we add on um, more people to, to, to the divisions because we think that we can grow further with all these brands. And if there is a brand who always complain, claim, very difficult to handle, and so on, we actually told the brand that, look, I think we are not the right fit. I'm not saying that we are the one who is right, but we are we might not be the right fit. This is like husband and wife, right? Or this is like boyfriend, <laughs> girlfriend, right? Um, uh, people can say, eh, this woman is beautiful, that man is uh, very handsome, but they might not be the right fit. It's not about the look. It's also about the psychological factor. It's also about
0: them, right?
2: So at the end of the journey, we we said to ourselves, okay, what is the right fit for Penbridges, Brothers and how we are going to move forward with all this um, uh, strategic or non-strategic buyer? And I think that's that's part of the thing that we actually plan. And when we plan it, for example, okay, next year we are we are going to exit from this brand. Then we push the other marketing team to actually we push the other mar- the other marketing team to actually add on uh, more more divisions on their portfolio so that that team can actually. Uh, replace the loss of sales that we plan to have a year from now, for example.
1: Hmm.
2: It it takes time, right, to develop. It takes,
1: yeah. yeah. And that's sort of my question because like, I don't know. I think that on the one hand, I hear a lot of people talking about manufacturers need to take an active role in deciding what kind of customers, what kind of brands they're going to work with. They need to sort of be proactive in this in terms of identifying brands who are the right fit for them, like you said, kind of a matchmaking. But then I also think there's a lot of manufacturers, especially small to smaller manufacturers, who you know, because of a relatively unequal distribution of risk and reward across the supply chain have extremely tight cash flows um, because they're the ones fronting the cost of production. And because of this extremely tight cash flow, it's like they're unable to sort of look more long-term because they're too focused on just trying to survive tomorrow. And so I'm curious, what would your advice be to manufacturers who are in this position, who 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 maybe really feel that it you know, to think beyond tomorrow and to think about or beyond the next payroll payment is just too impossible.
2: Yeah, but that's it, right? Um, we actually have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, what do we want to, to do, right? Do we want to continue the journey of having a basic stuff and then being squeezed left and right? and unable to meet the margin? Or do we want to actually have less sales first, for example, and try to push our team much more and be daring on our product development and then push ourselves, right? Or we might say that, look, let's quit rather than we harm ourselves. I think at the end of the day, it needs openness to the brands. It needs openness to the retailers. Look, we are not making money with you guys. I mean, if you continue to do this, we are not going to be sustainable. Just be open to the brands too. That look, and re- really, we did not make money. Look, look at all these figures. We know all of our costs. And if if they say, I mean, we are we are not talking about twenty twenty yet. We are talking about before twenty twenty. If they say that, look, we cannot afford you further. Then you have to say, sorry guys, I I, I really cannot continue. You know, you are hmm. sque- squeezing here and there, yet you ask me to be socially compliant, I think that's a little bit impossible. Because anyway, the brands knows our costing, right? So they cannot say that, well, you are making money or they actually know more than us that whether or not we are going to make money or not. Be, you, you would be surprised that they, they know it more. Why? You know, sometimes one style, they, they try to source it in three countries, in three different companies.
1: So what do you think, I'm curious, I want to go back to openness in a minute, because I know it's something you've talked a lot about before, but on this costing point, what you say I I find is so interesting, because so often, like, especially with labor rights activists, you hear sort of calls for open costing, for ring fencing labor costs, for being transparent about how much of a sale price or cost price, whichever way you want to look at it, is um, going to, you know, goes to, to the worker and that you know one of the things that's needed or one of the barriers to be able to being able to ensure that workers earn a decent living is transparency on pricing. And here you are saying no 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 they know exactly how much various you know when they get an FOB price how much of it goes to various things is that a contradiction?
2: <laughs> it is. They know exactly. They know it more than sometimes small factories or small companies you know if mm. i talk to all the brands look let's not let's not be ingenuine let's not be um let's not be nasty right it's so impossible you guys don't know. you know i i spoke with some of the representative last time in new york and i said come on you cannot give ask that kind of pricing, if you do, you know, feel free to go still to, you know, this country and such. I said, because why do you have to go into the pain of trying to produce with me? It doesn't make sense. You know, I even said that, well, this is a very basic stuff. Why don't you source it out of this country or that country rather than from Indonesia? And they look at me like, do you actually need the order or not? I said, guys, Let me tell you, if you want that price to be this much, we are not going to make it. We are going to lose that Mm. money. So the brands know it, the retailers know it. I really doubt that those people who are very experienced don't know it. And that's why working with sustainable brands and sustainable retailers who understand and really look into these particular details are really enjoyable right because they know when we talk sense to them that what we actually ask them is
1: fairness so that's pretty damning i can't help but think a little bit about these sort of claims and these narratives we see in the media where whenever there's a sweatshop scandal or an exposé you hear things like from from the brands from their you know pr person where they say things like well you know we really care about these issues and we do our best to vet our suppliers but ultimately like we we it's hard for us to control everything that our suppliers do and um, yes we need to do better on basically monitoring and verifying our supplier behavior in other words the implication they are implicating themselves to the extent that they have failed to check how somebody else behaves but they are not implicating their own sort of practices their own, the, the, the choices and the decisions that their own business has made. And so then I think about that narrative and that that somehow seems like it got picked up by labor rights activists like, oh, brands want workers to earn a decent living. You know, from a moral perspective, they are on board. The problem is that they don't know. The problem is ignorance. The problem is that they don't know how much of a of a price is, is going to, to workers. And that just seems really like messed up because now not only has the brand taken a moral monopoly, but we've sort of created a whole suite of tools. And I would include auditing in that, in that suite as well, which are based on what I would say are a fundamentally flawed set of assumptions about the root cause, you know, effectively saying that the reason why the fashion industry is the way that it is, is because there are bad people out there out to exploit people. Therefore, all we got to do is find ways to check them to make sure they're accountable. But I mean, there are no villains, not on the factory side and and not on the brand side. And instead, I know I sound like a broken record, I wish we were talking about distribution of risk and reward because the inequality in that again in my view is what creates the incentive for such cheap labor i want to go back to something you said earlier the word openness so because i noticed it's a word that you use a lot uh you you've you've used it in this conversation in our last conversation you said um uh I don't need sales, I need openness. And we noticed also in the ninth GIZ Fabric webinar series, Getting Through the Crisis Together, you said, um, sustainability is all about understanding the whole supply chain. This is not about technology. It's about mindset and uptake. To change the whole mindset of the whole supply chain, we need to make sure that everyone is aligned. And that requires transparency. If we get transparency from brands, then we also give transparency to our supply chains. So, I'm really curious to know more about this word openness and what you mean by it, but also specifically, what kind of transparency, what kind of information, what kind of openness are you looking for from brands? So
2: several things. One of it is we would like to know how the uh, management view on us, right? how they want us to be better based on their DNA, because they are the one who knows the inside of their own thing. And of course, you know, sourcing team always know what kind of KPI need to be addressed to the sourcing um, manufacturing that they are lies to. And, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, how they, they want to improve things with us, right? So that's the kind of macro or long-term openness. And then second is about on how they actually sell the goods. Yeah, they they, they can sell it through marketplace. They can sell it to, to offline, online of their stores if they want to actually use a lot of um, athlete or, you know, uh, actor, actress or whatever it is. So we actually understand and can put more um, um, manpower that really understand about this thing. And therefore, you know, the kind of product development that we produce for the brands is actually the right fit. So it's not back and forth, right? So, and then after that development part, our team are able to see what kind of uh, additional investment that we have to put beside the human investment, for example, machinery and so on. So every year when, or every two, three years when we do the CapEx planning, it will not go into waste. It will go into a fruitful um, part where we can do more productions, where we can do uh, efficiency, where we can do uh, productivity. So that when we actually do a price quotations, um, the brands look at us fairly and we are fair to the brands that we actually give uh, the right solution. And when we are able to have this Openness. We can also prepare our supply chain. We can actually push our supply chain also to to book some of the items that we think is a could hit, a good market, right? A hmm. good sales with the brands. And if that's the case, actually the the raw material are more prepared, so we have less um, we have contingency and less less uh, failure in terms of delivery of the raw material. And because of all of that, we're actually able to complete the whole KPI right on time. Less um, hassle in terms of um, uh, quality, less problems in terms of um, non-delivery from the, the raw material. I know it seems ideal, yeah, but without all of this, how can actually you plan things?
1: Yeah, I don't, it doesn't sound ideal to me. I mean, in the sense that like you know, having a more open supply chain in terms of, well, let, let me ask you this. Do any of the brands that you produce for actually give you information about their inventory levels so that you know exactly in real time yes, yes, yes. how well their products are selling?
2: Yes, yes. Um, I'm not saying all the brands. I'm saying um, five to six
1: major brands that we supply to, they do because that's what positions you to be able to anticipate changes, and to keep your sort of orders and your capacity in equilibrium. And as you say, then also sort of minimize, because if there's a small change at the top, the impact further down gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, like you said, uh, with the raw materials, the fabric mills, etc, etc. And so being able to have accurate insight into how well the products are actually managing to sell really positions positions you to reduce the waste throughout the whole supply chain correct correct was correct. it hard to get those brands to agree to give you their inventory levels
2: actually uh, for like i said six major brands that we supply to actually they they are not just thinking that it's hard, but actually they they give us with without um, any push here from us because they believe that this is good for our sustainability, economical sustainability. So it's okay because our relationship with six major brands has been for some time. They know that we can be trusted, right? Mm. So that's, that's that.
1: And the ones who don't give you that information, why do you think they don't?
2: Well, because they they don't... I mean, if they don't want
1: to give because
2: of various factors, they feel that they are not close enough with us and they feel that we might use their inventory la- level for other means, you know? Mm. And basically, it's about trust level, right? Between the brands and us, between the retailers and us. They don't want... Asked to use it with a manner that they they don't like, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Not everyone has the same level of relationship, and also the same level of trust worthiness. Yeah.
1: So, is trust just a matter of time? Do you think, and having a track record of working with someone, or where if you look at if you reflect on the customers that you work with, where you feel there is a high level of trust, where does where do you I mean, where does that come from? Do you think?
2: No, I think trust is about an effort, a joint effort. Um, it's not about only time. Time will tell whether or not we can be trusted among, <laughs> among each other or, or between each other. It's, it's time. That, that's the key factor. But then to be a trusted uh, vendor, to be a trusted brand, we have to make a coordinations and open really open talk that, look, we really need it for your own good too. And the reason why we are doing this, because we want to make sure that we don't harm each other. You know, why we have to harm you if you don't harm us. There is no reason for us to harm the friends. And likewise, if we have this level of uh, comfort and trust and openness and transparency. I mean, it's as much as them and as much as us
1: to pursue Mm -hmm. this. Those are some pretty powerful insights. Thank you for sharing. Is there anything you'd like to add that we haven't already covered?
2: So I, I, I think I want to share with the world about how Indonesia would like to see our path grow despite, you know, a, a lot of our the controversies on sustainability, environment, social, and so on. But we actually get a lot of attack that I don't think it's fair because we are not like that, but they just want to make a commercially out of it. So I always say to all the media and everyone, look, You know, what do we do here in Indonesia is actually to make sure that all of our people have the same welfare. All of our people have the chance to be productive and efficient and to be socially compliant and to be environmentally compliant. We are not talking only on behalf of employer side, but also on behalf of the whole team, right? Including the employee side, which is much more than the employer side. So, you know, to attack means to attack the whole labor force. And be, be, be that may I, I just want to focus on how we can progress this further and love Indonesia for the way we are and actually procure more from Indonesia because we know that we can make it together by holding hands together and be open, right? Be very transparent mm-hmm. because we are our, we are a trustworthy partner yeah. We, we are committed to the roofs as well. Um, and I have to say that even though some of the people said, yes, but that's Brothers, I don't think so. I, I think some of our peers are also uh, very, very good in delivering promises, in delivering commitments. We just need a lot of other peers that are like us uh, in the field and in the mix, to push everyone, I, I would like to emphasize as also not just as vice CEO of Pen Brothers, but also vice chairman of Association of Textile Indonesia. We are pushing this to the roof so that we have enough market share
1: because we can. I really appreciate. I think your I'm trying to find the right word. I don't know if it's proactive or or you it's know a there's positive a positive fa- mindset. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: Because I said to my people, you know, my employees, as well as everyone, like a human is consisting on a brain, heart, and definitely 100% energy, right? If we have positive energy, the genuity, the truth, the positive energy would be there for everyone. But if we have negative energy, everything will be negative. Of course, we can cry, we can be sad, we can be mad, we can be emotional, because we are human, we are not machine yet,
1: right? Well, and there so, is a lot of, there is a lot of injustice in the apparel industry. So it's not to say that those things aren't real, they are real. They
2: you are know? real, they are real, super real, because you are right, you are completely right. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a soft story, it's real, Anna, yes, because of it, we, you know, the minute we are on the supply chain and um, have a negative energy, then we are not able to force this out and actually become the champion, right? And we just bitch moan to our government. We just bitch moan to the world that it's it's unfair, it's unfair. I think I would not be um, part of Penn Bridges in the last, what, 24 years right now, since 1997, right? But I do believe that we, I'm born to actually be an empathy or, or actually to push this injustice into justice because anyway, who I actually can convert injustice to justice, also human rights, cannot be machine. <laughs> cannot, be, uh, uh, cannot be machine, cannot be AI, you know. That's the reason I said to everyone, okay, yeah, everyone said, are you afraid of AI and automation? And I laugh very hard because I'm also an engineer, right? Do you actually understand what is AI and automation? AI and automation is human creations, right? So we need to be on top of them rather than being downgraded to below them. i rather not being defeated by the injustice. we i rather to push this forward so that everyone knows that justice needs to be created by everyone, not just by us, but also the other counterpart. And because we are pushing this forward together, not just alone, uh, I do believe that there would be always rainbow at, at the end of the tunnel. I always believe that. I mean, you know, everyone said, you are you are being very optimistic, but also true. Because otherwise, Pan Brothers, despite, you know, very massive labor in, in the, uh, labor law in Indonesia, we will not grow from 2,000 workers into 30-something thousand workers in the last 24 years. You're not going to grow like that if you do not live on that. And yet we are growing and we are pushing ourselves to the next level because we believe this industry is a just industry and we have to create that justice among the supply chain.
1: Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com or find us on Instagram at manufactured
0: We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with this is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy.
1: To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage.
0: Thanks for listening, and see you next week.